But there's a much bigger story about you know money movement you know safely with very low decline rates guaranteed to the operator at a low cost. And although it sounds simple, that in payments, you know, Visa, Mastercard, Amex, Discover, the greater group, PayPal, Stripe, everything, um, you know, you see elements of that that are broken in all of those types of, you know, companies or methods. And those are multi-billion dollar companies that are doing extremely well. And I, I respect immensely. Um, but imagine if you could do something even better, then what are you bringing to the greater industry? This is The Dime. Dive into the cannabis and hemp industry through trends, insights, predictions, and tangents. What's up, guys? Welcome back to the episode of The Dime. I'm Brian Fields, and with me, as always, is Kellen Finney. And this week, we've got a very special guest, Daniel Muller, CEO and founder of Aeropay. Dan, thanks for taking the time. How are you doing today? Doing great. Awesome to be with you guys. Look forward to chatting. Yeah, excited to dive in. Kellen, how are you doing? I'm doing really well. Looking forward to talking to Dan about uh, how money gets transferred in the cannabis space. Yeah, I mean, that's... How are you, Brian? I'm excited. And I'm really excited to talk to another East Coaster and another Nick fan because, listen, there's not enough of us out there and we need to be loud and proud. So, Dan, for our listeners that are unfamiliar about you, can you give a little background about yourself? Sure. I'm a Knicks fan in Chicago. That's pretty tough. No, (laughs) uh, so quick background on me. Um, You know, from New York, moved to Chicago about 10 years ago, uh, worked in technology uh, pretty much since I graduated, uh, built large digital solutions for large enterprises like Adidas, Best Buy, Foot Locker, and many others. Eventually, a company I was working for sold to a big bank, uh, Synchrony Financial, and got full exposure to everything fintech and financial services, saw how broken things were behind the scenes in payments. And that really inspired the idea for Aeropay. Um, And Aeropay is kind of a simple bank transfer-based payment method. And we specialize lately in uh, providing services for emerging industries like cannabis. So is Aeropay in different industries? Can you kind of give us a little background about the value provides and then how kind of you got into the cannabis industry? Yeah, so Aeropay is industry agnostic, but we're we're highly specialized in state by state uh, regulated industry industries like cannabis. Uh, what's special about what we built, and this is really from day one, is we're leveraging an account to account bank transfer to make money move faster, more securely, and much more affordably. Uh, we know that there's a million players in payments, and it's a really noisy space, but what happens in you know highly regulated spaces is that the traditional service providers like credit cards um, and the card networks don't widely serve those industries. So it makes it for a great area for a company like ours to provide our new you know money movement method uh, to an industry like cannabis because uh, there's not as much noise and we can prove the innovation that we're doing and hopefully it works out to to other industries. But that's sort of what inspired. They go to market in cannabis. So uh, Aeropay operates in gaming, crypto, cannabis, and some other retail. Uh, very highly regulated spaces. Which one do you think is the most regulated from your guys' experience? I'd say the most underserved is for sure cannabis. And then yeah. probably the highest <laughs> highest regulated is gaming. And the most unknown right now uh, for future is, is for sure crypto, just, just given uh, the different angles and perceptions there. But cannabis is by far the most underserved. And it creates 
you know, really complicated environment. I think a lot of really smart people have entered the ancillary tech space in cannabis lately because they like to solve really hard problems. And I can't think of another harder one than money moving when it's, you know, federally illegal to even sell the product. So you have to layer on a ton of compliance and collaboration with regulators, you know, at the state and federal level and bank partners to do this correctly and transparently which is what we bet on, you know, as soon as we went to marketing cannabis. I think a lot of the operators been burned in the past with providers that didn't do that. And so, you know, trying to wave the compliance flag early was important for us and, you know, has won us a lot of business as a result. So I think that's what we're sticking with and and what people want to hear. So you said that, uh, I mean, transferring money in in a federally illegal market is challenging. Challenging. So walk us through some of the conversations that your team has with these financial institutes that you build partnerships with and you guys clearly have trust with. Yeah, so it really starts with federal regulation according to either the Cole Memo or FinCEN guidance that came out in 2014 that effectively said, if you're going to provide financial services to the space, this is how you do it so that you don't get in trouble. Um, some really smart bankers um, at Partner Colorado Safe Harbor, Sunday Siegfried actually wrote a book on this, created sort of the playbook by which you could provide financial services to the industry. And this is sort of widely accepted among hundreds of, of banks now. And they've extended that to other things like payroll processing or payment processing. Because obviously, folks that are employed by the industry need to get paid and tax revenue needs to flow to the state and all the basics that happen when you know it is a state legal um, industry. And so we built you know, effectively a, a compliance layer on top of what we were told by you know, our bank partners. And we make sure that our operators follow those rules. And so our technology is pretty much the same across those verticals. But the type of things you need to ask and the due diligence you need to do can vary. And so that's really how we do what we do differently than, you know, let's say, um, you know, a cashless ATM or other things that might abstract the nature of the actual transaction away from, you know, the bank statement. We're very clear cannabis dispensary on the bank statement. And then all the rules flow down to, to the financial institution who has to file the suspicious activity reports with FinCEN. So a lot of really technical financial terms there, but ultimately banks tell us what to do and we follow their rules. I got to wonder, transparency is probably king, but as you're probably pivoting your business or moving part of your business to the cannabis space, how how challenging is that to say, we're taking our technology and we're moving into the cannabis space, understanding all the implications and the challenges layered on top? Like From a timeframe perspective, what does that look like? Yeah, so the cannabis industry suffered from, you know, primarily being like an in-store only experience pre-COVID and then post-COVID being deemed essential business moving dramatically into kind of buy online, pick up in store or delivery first, there was a shift to omni-channel faster than any other retail industry in history, right? It was, it was like almost instant. And regulators need to get on board and the operators and the ancillary tech providers. And that really presented an opportunity, you know, to be kind of a default online payment method where there never was one before. Because even the cash CTM model, you need the terminals and you need to be in the store. Things like that, um, cash. We know that you know the problem there. So when all of that shift started happening, we had the online sort of module built out, you know, similar to like a, a PayPal-like experience, and started talking to all the providers in the space, building integrations, 
So then when the operators were looking for solutions, we could be a flip of the switch um, once the, the compliance is approved. And I, and I think that's a transformation that you're only seeing grow in cannabis is that move to you know, be able to pay and buy where the customer is and wants to be and not purely just kind of an in-store payment. Compliance can't be a small feat, though, especially with all the state-to-state challenges. So that is one where compliance is just one path forward that you follow, or does everything have to be tailored to each state? There's definitely nuances in each state. And I, and I think that's in everything that you do in cannabis, right? Whether it's seed-to-sale tracking, point-of-sale, e-commerce, payments. Um, but we always start with the financial regulators because ultimately, they're the, you know, the, the folks looking really closely at our model and the idea of money transmission is is very sensitive and one that you have to clear before you do anything else in payments. And then when we're presenting to financial regulators, we also show them how we do it for cannabis. Um, And then I think that extends to cannabis regulators. And those rules can vary dramatically by state. Um, so, for example, in Washington, transaction has to happen under you know the a licensed entity you know that's under camera. Um, and so, how do you do a prepayment when that's the case? Well, so we we have this thing called preauthorization that really understands whether a payment can be made, but no money is moved until it's fulfilled in the dispensary. And those just one example, but nuance that you have to make sure you clear um, on a state by state level. So, with all these nuances in each state, um, working with uh, credit unions and banks that are only operating in each individual individual state. How do you guys provide your technology to them so that it's a seamless integration for each institution that's probably got a different size team and different requirements and a different business model? Yeah, so that's a great question because we actually have to get approval from the receiving banks um, in every state that we operate in, right? So it, we have a processing bank, we have our own bank, but then the what's known as the RDFI, which is the receiving institution of, of the deposit, needs to prove or effectively prove to us that they do have a cannabis compliant program. And that's really done by region or by state that those that those folks are operating in. And we've pretty much, you know, we need that letter once per per bank. And we have that for many, many hundreds of banks, but it's a piece of the process um, of the compliance process. When you talk about financial institutions, you're talking about like the JP Morgans, or you're talking about the other like smaller banks? Yeah, it's going to be smaller banks almost in most cases, uh, like state regulated credit unions. There's some regional uh, banks that are, are entering the space that are multi billion dollar regional banks on both coasts, uh, which is cool to see, frankly, because like before, you know, there might have been a small credit union here or there. Um, now there's hundreds of credit unions doing it. And then there's some really big banks, um, you know, entering the space, getting comfortable with it, providing fintech services where you've never seen before. So that's, that's a nice transformation. In some cases, we're doing the educating to the banks that want to get into it, which is another cool thing to see is, you know, small fintech being able to tell a large FI, you know, you want to enter a new industry, here's how to do it. Are there a lot of back and forth conversations where people are poking holes at some of the transactions saying, hey, this kind of looks, let's say, a little more suspicious? Like, how, how do one point out certain transactions and say, hey, this one is flat? Yeah, so we've built an entire monitoring um, and kind of risk uh, suite of tools into our platform, right? So we can see if there's potential fraud, we can see if, you know, potential payment might decline. We've even added a layer of machine learning, which can get predictive around transactions and say, 
you know, based on these many attributes, we're feeding the data into this decisioning algorithm that's going to say, you know, this looks risky based on what we're seeing. So just keep an eye on it. And then we have a dedicated risk team that manually observes what's happening on our platform. And that risk team, you know, has uh, certified anti-money laundering certifications. Um, they're certified by the NACHA uh, organization, which is what manages ACH, which is how we move money through a bank-to-bank transfer. Um, so it's a combination of manual tools um, that the team will use, as well as software uh, that oversees everything on our platform. I think one of the things that fascinates me most about this topic is the fact that your team has to kind of grow as the industry evolves. And simultaneously to that, new partners are probably popping up like all the time. And I think open architecture, which is one of the core principles about your company is probably inter- it's, it's integral in the growth of your company. Can you kind of shed more on that? Yeah, so that's that's a key piece of uh, the cannabis industry lately. You know, having lots of providers that are domain experts in what they do, giving the operator choice to work with who they want, and then making sure the integrations between those companies are top notch. And so, when you look at a multi-state operator that's growing into you know, let's say fifteen to twenty states, and each one, you know, there's rules in each state that are different you may not be able to use the same provider in each state just due to the fact that they're built according to a certain you know, state's setup. And in that case, you want providers that can be agile and work with many others um, in good partnership and good integrations. So that's something that I think the cannabis you know, industry is learning, uh, maybe a bit in the, in the hard way, but it is where things are evolving to, which is kind of what we believe and we're excited about. How do you guys balance security with that kind of open architecture? So everybody's got their sort of domain and a bit of that domain is like a black box to the other partner, right? So you might have like an API and that API has, you know, account credentials, secrets and keys and can only access a certain amount of data. And then the operator gets to choose what data flows between the two kind of platforms. And then obviously there's agreements between those two that are protecting both entities. It's a great question though, because I think when you think of integrations, many at once, you're like, oh, shoot, there's so much data flowing everywhere. Like who has the ultimate eyes on those things? And, you know, there's a lot of protections in place to make sure a the data doesn't slip out of the chain. And then, you know, you only see what you need to see based on on the nature of the integration. So I got a question for you. One of the first times I purchased, I mean, of course, one of the first times I purchased cannabis in a legal dispensary, I paid with a credit card. They provided me with the products I bought. And they handed me back $8.13. And I was confused, if we're going to be honest, right? I looked at Kellen and I said, something seems off. They handed me products and gave me money back. What am I missing? And he's like, welcome to cannabis. What what has happened in that transaction? Yeah, so uh, that is uh, widely widely known as, uh, you know, cashless ATM, reverse ATM. Uh, where you know behind the scenes, what's happening is it's mimicking an ATM withdrawal, um, and that's what you'll see on your bank statement, and you know that's what everyone behind the scenes sees. But what you see it, as a consumer is a is a card swipe, and and you don't really feel a huge difference other than you have to pay the ATM fee, which you know that's kind of always a a hiccup, but um, is there. And then you have the roundup with the cash back because ultimately it has to be a round number that, again, represents an ATM withdrawal. It's a creative workaround and it's out there widely. 
The challenge there is, you know, what might happen if that goes away and who gets penalized and um, who's at the front of the line if there's a crackdown on that. And what we've heard from operators historically is, you know, when those folks get shut down, the operators and dispensaries are left holding the bag or dealing with, you know, a tangle in their operations. And that really doesn't happen when you're transparent about it and you go through the right approvals because you're built for long-term scale. You're going to scale with them. You're integrated into their solutions. And everybody knows what's what's going on without there being a cap on how much you can spend as a consumer, right? Because you can only take so much money out of the ATM. Um, and so there's more revenue for the dispensary when, when you can spend freely out of your account according to state legal limits. Um, so that's the other frustrating part for consumers is the fee, the cashback, and they can't spend what they want. So Aeropay serves both consumers and uh, businesses as well. Was that a simultaneous kind of decision that you're going to enter both pieces of the supply chain? Or did you guys kind of choose one and then pivot into the other one? Yeah, consumers are bread and butter. But I think, you know, when you build something that can move money easier, you know, faster and more secure naturally, folks are going to ask, how can I use this? And then I think a lot of the B2B use cases were born out of you know consumers using it or dispensaries offering it behind them to the rest of the supply chain or other marketplaces saying, hey, you know, could we integrate this into, into our model? And so therefore, you know, one thing leads to another and B2B is an ex- exciting use case for us because you know, ultimately, you're just moving money from one business bank account to another business bank account, which isn't all that different than a consumer account to a business account. Uh, you know, The main difference for us is the level of risk on the nature of the transaction on consumer side is a little higher. And so that's why we've poured a ton of resources in that. And then obviously, commercially, there's a big difference on B2B. Um, but it's exciting to see how the use cases grow with a, with a simple payment method. Is one of those use case cases potentially e-commerce like a Stripe competitor? So yeah, so we definitely do e-commerce. Um, you know, it's it's a really strong use case for us when it comes to integrated prepayments. Stripe, primarily doing card processing, we're pretty much going to stay bank transfer, right? So Stripe has a new ACH product called Stripe ACH, and they're also you know created their own semi-integrated bank connection tool called Financial Connections. We're going to be directly comparable to that. Except we're going to own the entire customer journey from bank transfer all the way to bank connection ourselves rather than partner with other providers to do those things. But to your point, yes, we could do e-commerce payments in any industry like Stripe uh, for ACH bank transfers. I think that's one of the things that surprises people most in the cannabis or outside cannabis industry is that when they look to kind of get in, they assume all these tools are just available for them. And then once they get started, they recognize I can't use Stripe. I can't use a normal bank account. I have to get separate insurance. I think the list just kind of piles up. And I think think it shocks people. Is that the experience that you found also? Yeah. And so one of the big things we're trying to do, especially uh, for new license holders, is to prepackage you know, all, the entire suite, whether it's banking, payments, POS, e-commerce, and make sure you have a turnkey suite for folks that just got you know, license approval. So there isn't you know, all these question marks around, now what do I do? And, and who do I go to for services or tech options? So, and we're also partnering with states, right? Directly with the state regulators to say, you know, if you effectively approve these certain solutions for the cannabis industry because they're doing things the right way, 
then it's really easy for the license holders that you want to succeed because ultimately that means good tax revenue for you as the state. You know, that's that would work in your benefit to, to make those recommendations. So those conversations are ongoing all the time. And we're doing a few um, networking events in the near future, like in coordination with the state and other providers um, and banks as well that want to provide banking services to new license holders. So you guys' team is privy to a ton of consumer uh, purchasing data and could probably do some really cool things with that. How do you guys balance like the state regulations and, and all of that highly regulated in markets and being able to u- utilize that data and potentially monetize it? Yeah, so so we don't is the, is the short answer. <laughs> we we don't monetize uh, consumer data, and you know we we follow you know the CCPA rules um, pretty strictly. It's California based rules, and what we've realized is that you know our our monetization is going to come from providing a really good service to the client, and should yeah. always be free to the consumer, right? So when you swipe a card or you know standard coffee shop things like that, you're not really getting charged. The experience is pretty smooth, like. The consumer should it should be a breeze. Yep. The client then pays a small amount on that nature of that transaction for moving money safely and securely, and we guarantee money movement to the operator, which is like dramatically different than most of the payment providers in in the entire industry, right? Where we're taking the risk on the nature of the transaction. So that's a service we're providing to the client, and that's how we monetize. Um, consumer data, you could monetize it in certain ways, but you know, with the type of risks associated to to privacy or breaching any of those, we're just really staying away from any of that. And people are really sensitive about uh, financial service data, especially connecting to their bank. Right? You look at Venmo or Mint or Cloud Money, any of these things. You connect your bank account, and there's a natural sort of distrust. You know, like, oh shoot, what's going to happen to my credentials here? And so we're working directly with those banks, large banks, and uh, what's known as the FDX Financial Data Exchange to make sure there's clarity on how the consent flows work for consumers that are authorizing their bank account to these services. So again, really high-level complicated things, but ultimately, like data protection is number one. We won't monetize it, and the client is really the service we're providing to and, and who pays our bills. Safe banking. That has to be a scenario where your team is played out and over time is likely evolved as information slowly gets announced on anticipation. So how does your team prepare for hopefully soon safe banking? Yeah, so safe banking is an interesting one, right? Because in our view, uh, safe banking somewhat already exists. Uh, you just have to know where to look. And, and there's some really, really good bankers out there that wave the flag on safe banking for cannabis. So... Although it's necessary because the bigger banks should provide these types of services and safe banking is is probably what will do it. If it passes, the big banks are going to take their time to develop the compliance protocols to make it happen. And they're probably going to charge hefty fees for it. So hopefully by that time, the folks that are providing services now can reduce their fees and then not continuously burden the cannabis industry, right? We want to be a financial service provider that provides unique and beneficial services without charging astronomical fees to cannabis dispensaries. Like that's the way it should happen. But my fear is that even with approval, that's not going to happen at the large banking level. Um, So we have to sort of pump up the folks that are doing it right for normalized fees today. And then hopefully that evolves to more banks over time. We don't add approving full credit card processing just yet. That'll 
it'll take probably full federal legalization. And then again, similarly, the card networks are going to want to understand the level of risk behind this industry. And that's going to take time and data analysis. And then pricing may lift because of it, where we'll be in the market. Pricing won't go up because of that. And we guarantee the payment to the operator. So exciting times because it's unknown, but in the unknown, you can develop innovation. And that's what we're doing that hopefully extends to all industries. So if safe banking doesn't pass over the next, say, two or three years, what would you think would be the next best thing to help the industry out from a regulatory standpoint? Just more states being legalized? So I, I almost see there being, I don't know if it's a formal or informal, like state-based regulatory group, right? So it's a coordination of the states that are doing it the best, or there's a nonprofit that brings everyone to the table. And then says, okay, you know, we know Safe Harbor does it well. Uh, we know there's this new FIs that are doing it really well and a group of fintechs and technology solutions that are doing it well. Let's all come to the table and make sure that every state has at least five providers, right? That would already go miles beyond anything, you know, the government could put together. And then as a result, it like trickles down to the big FIs and then they do something, right? If we can at least say, hey, regulator in X state, there's Y options for you know, every dispensary. And the dis- you know, they might get, whether it's a tax break or a subsidy or you know, some form of credit for being able to deposit those funds <clears throat> in a bank account in that state where there's a direct tie to tax revenue, boom, you've kind of solved it, right? Like that's what everyone wants. Win for the bank, win for the dispensary, win for the state. So again, it just takes coordination, lots of discussion, but I think it might happen there sooner than later. And that's what I think should happen. It's kind of wild too, because like, what do the regulators think is actually happening, right? They're aware that money is being transferred, that these businesses that are doing large numbers and large volumes are exchanging large amounts of cash. So, so what do they think is actually happening? And they just kind of closing their eyes and, and saying, not looking at this? I think they're opening finally. <laughs> That's what I would say. It's like, it's taken a lot of time, but you know, now people, you know, whether it's solutions like ours getting more attention or banks coordinating with the regulators in their states and doing it safely the right way, you're starting to see state treasurers, you know, do two things pump up the legitimate players and now crack down on the illegitimate ones, right? Because you can't have a healthy, legitimate market if you have an illegitimate one and then the tax revenue is not flowing through and then the prices lift and the legitimate one because the illegitimate one's driving them down, right? That's a really complicated economic dynamic. So the treasurers are trying to solve those two things at once. And depending on who you talk to within those regulatory bodies, one might be more sensitive or prioritizing the other. But that's what needs to change over time. But they're taking notice for sure, because we're even getting, uh, we're engaging with them directly about that. What is one aspect of the payment processing space that would surprise or shock most of the people operating in the cannabis industry? I don't know. That's an interesting one, because I think, I think for the last, for the last couple of years, um, you've seen, you know, the cashless ATM model, kind of grow. Then the Visa memo came out and it kind of like rocked the industry. And then ACH came up. But now, you know, folks are questioning the ACH adoption. And so like there's this ebb and flow consistently happening. I think what would shock the industry would be, you know, if for some reason something like crypto took off out of the blue, that would be like completely, 
you know, everybody theorizes that makes sense and, and there could be a model there, but do you want to like overlap two kind of very regulated or newly regulated nascent markets into each other? Um, but that could take off, right? And that would rock the industry. Um, a player like us, you know, having regulatory issues, I think would as well, because ACH has become sort of the predominantly compliant model. So that would definitely kind of raise red flags. And then I think, you know, an incumbent player uh, like, you know, one of the large financial services industry folks coming into the space providing services would would be monumental. Um, and so people are waiting to see if that will happen. What would be the biggest obstacle for crypto being used to purchase cannabis? I mean, you can use it to buy a Tesla now, right? Like, Yeah, I mean... I don't think that, anything... I'm, that's not an ignorant question, right? Like, not, <laughs> no, 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 not, not at all. It's, I, I think it's a question that that everyone you know in the industry asks all the time. You know, and it's like there is a good fit, right? But it's it's about you know being the service provider that can actually build that, make it a reality, sell it to an operator while still following the strict regulatory and compliance rules. Um, and so there's a lot of work there for maybe not the biggest payoff right away. And I think historically, cannabis payments has always been like rush something in for a big payoff. And then if you survive, you know, great. Um, we're taking the opposite look. Like we're all about long-term survival and scale versus a quick buck. And then the question is, do you do a lot of work for such an unknown potential ROI in, in the crypto world? But potentially, uh, I'm rooting for it one day. I mean, who, who knows? Maybe we'll, we'll dive in. I, I wonder too how that would be received, right? I think cannabis is fighting so hard to remove like the stigma and like the, the feeling around it where I think if you went to a dispensary and said, hey, you can't pay with a credit card, you can buy with cash or you can send me some Bitcoin, I think you know, I'm just thinking of like my parents being like, what, like, what type of industry yeah. is this? And I think that's the big challenge where I think at this current stage, we need to kind of separate the two. And sure, you can take a creative approach. And, and you know, Dan, like your business with the two of them could be layered forward. But I'm curious to know what you think is, like, is that something you think would hurt or help the industry if that started becoming, let's say, a mainstream thing of we've combined cannabis and crypto for a payment method? Yeah, I mean, uh, to your point, like, you know, I think personally, it's it's an AML and you know kind of nightmare in a way because it's so abstracted. But that's sort of the benefit of it, decentralization. But this industry needs full transparency to be legitimized and to see be seen as as an enterprise level vertical, just like any other. And there's so much of that going on um, that that could potentially you know, lift a stigma, but without, you know, consistent service provider doing that, it could be tough. Customer support and regulations has to be such a critical component uh, of your business. So how does your team prepare for all the unknowns and how do you handle those things internally? Yeah. So it's, it's one of the things that we think is a differentiator for us. So customer support at the, at the end client level, making sure there's comfort around bank connections and payments in store and online. So that's something that we learned early days when we were serving restaurant retail like locally in Chicago that you have to earn trust. You have to get a great reputation and word of mouth is going to help you grow and create the network effect that you want. When you started your journey in the cannabis space, what did you get right? And most importantly, what did you get wrong? 
we got right building an alliance of people that have done it before and kind of help pave the way for us. Um, so we, you know, we talked to folks at, you know, like iHeartJane, at Blackbird, at Ola. And we realized that there is a group of people that really want other entrepreneurs and smart people to be successful. And you have to follow those people and partner with them. The obstacle is the op- complete opposite of that. <laughs> Um, it's the, it's the folks that aren't helpful that, you know, want to see your demise that are pretty antagonistic and may say they're, you know, very pro the industry on one side, but then really want to destabilize it on the other side for their own business interests. And I think the latter is really dangerous because it really takes away optionality and competition from an industry that actually needs a lot more of it to be legitimized. Um, and so if anyone's going into it, I always warn them of that. And we learn the hard way, right? We go into it wide-eyed and we're so excited to talk to everybody. And then half are like, yeah, we love you guys. Let's go. Let's do stuff. And half are like, you know, pay us a ton of money to even talk to us. And I'm like, whoa, this is quite different. Um, so, so that's what I would warn and uh, encourage. 20 years from now, we will look back and say, that was barbaric. I can't believe we did that. What is that? Um, I would say, you know, not think that technology could help in a way that we've seen it help historically, right? So putting so much pressure on providers that are are looking to to help like us, right? So we're trying to help to cash out of the system, make it flow compliantly. And I think, you know, sometimes we're presented with obstacles like, you know, well, I don't pay fees on cash or, you know, or, you know, how do you consider this compliant? And like, well, we built, you know, working with banks, working with regulators, etc. And, you know, cash is really dangerous and, and people are getting hurt because of it. So just embracing technology as a potential solution and not kind of getting stuck in some of the older school thought around um, cash and and new solutions like ours. What's the future roadmap look like? So we have a lot of really exciting partnerships and integrations rolling out. Uh, We're probably going to announce over the next few months. But the future of this industry is an open, collaborative, competitive uh, environment where there's a freedom to choose. There's a freedom of, of price. There's a freedom of working with your domain expert. Um, the future for us is continual innovation in payments specifically. And as a result, that'll happen in cannabis. The idea of a guaranteed payment you know, is, is really rare. The idea of using machine learning uh, to estimate fraud is really rare. The idea to, to focus on money laundering and anti-money laundering efforts as a fintech really early in your in your life stage is also really rare. Um, so we're excited to, to bring those concepts to, to life. Why was the guaranteed payment an important part of uh, integrating it to your team? So a guaranteed payment, you know, being able to make sure funds flow to the operator no matter what. You know, if you look at major card networks, they don't do that and they charge back declines to their clients. And this has been a problem in widespread enterprise retail for many, many years, going into like legal battles between, you know, Amazon, Walmart, and a bunch of the major, you know, retailers against the card networks. And so the idea is if you can guarantee the payment, take on the risk, you're charging for a service that's really valid, not just the idea of being able to process a card, but actually making sure money lands safely. And that's a service that we believe is worth paying for from a payment processing fee. 
and not the idea that it's basically a toll on the highway, right? You know, you want to be able to say, okay, well, if you're going to pay the toll, I guarantee you safe passage from point A to point B. And that's what you're paying for versus just being able to drive on the road. Um, and that's an analogy that I, I think is relevant in payments. Yeah, it's, it's really clear. Since you've been in the cannabinoid industry, what has been the biggest misconception? Uh, the biggest misconception by far is that it's it's not a professional, highly advanced industry. Like it absolutely is. And you know, if the seed to sale world alone is so vastly complex, to get that right uh, requires some intensely, you know, focused um, engineering, you know, chops. As well as coordinate, coordinating with government, you know, bureaus and being able to extend that all the way to operators that operate in every state. You know, I think in the idea that, you know, it's just a recreational industry and there's not sophistication behind it is the biggest misconception. And uh, you know, there's some really exciting technology being built everywhere you look. Before we do predictions, we ask all of our guests, if you could sum up your experience in a main takeaway or lesson learned to pass on to the next generation, what would it be? To learn from your peers and those that came before. I know that's kind of cliche and you can apply it to, I don't know, athletics, academia, um, entrepreneurship, and, and anything you do. But you know, I would say my biggest learning personally is when I first started Aerobay, I was I was so kind of cavalier about how I thought I could run a business. And, you know, I had, you know, I've come from a family of entrepreneurs and my both my parents were immigrants and I kind of had the the right work ethic. But, you know, the idea of like, I'm just gonna do it my way. And, you know, I'm gonna there's a sounding board if I need it, but you know, I'm I'm really gonna be my own entrepreneur. And and I think that's fine. You need some of that because the confidence is important. Uh, but being able to intake from those a few steps ahead. 20 steps ahead and even one step behind, right? Because the people right behind you might have a similar or different outlook and you just want to level set against where you're at um, versus, you know, folks either not on the journey at all, which I didn't find that much value from because there is a certain metal it takes to do something like this. Um, so you got to really kind of try to get the folks that, that have been on the path uh, before while testing left and right. But you know, in front of you and behind you, that that's my biggest advice always to to new entrepreneurs. All right, prediction time, Dan. Can the cannabis industry lead innovation for new standards in payment processing? If so, where? Strong yes to that. <laughs> Absolutely. Um, so again, when when you're so absent of. Um, stand what's considered standard or traditional solutions, you're forced into a mode where you either create, um, I'll say the what I what you know, maybe the negative is impractical workarounds, right, that aren't transparent, or the opposite, which is highly innovative new solutions that might take the element you're working on forward, which for us is is payments and money movement. And so we get pigeonholed all the time, right? Your your cannabis payments, your cannabis payments. It's like, and we remind them, no, no, we're payments, and we love cannabis because of the nature of how complex it is and what we're doing in it, um, and how we're helping the industry and all the partners we're working with. But there's a much bigger story about you know money movement, you know, safely with very low decline rates, guaranteed to the operator at a low cost. 
And although it sounds simple, that in payments, you know, Visa, MasterCard, Amex, Discover, the greater group, PayPal, Stripe, everything, um, you know, you see elements of that that are broken in all of those types of, you know, companies or methods. And those are multi-billion dollar companies that are doing extremely well. And I, I respect immensely. Um, but imagine if you could do something even better, then what are you bringing to the greater industry? And so that's, that's what cannabis is allowing us to do. And I'm you know, really grateful for the opportunity to serve the industry and, and work with the, the smart people in it. Kellen, you know, when I read this question at first, I was thinking crypto. And then listening to, to Dan talk uh, for the last 45 minutes or so, the credit card payment aspect, I didn't realize that they didn't guarantee the funds to retailers. And so I was like, wow, like mind blown. And, and then also I was thinking about it because it is so highly regulated. It's almost like a blank canvas for payment transfers, but they're like, you can't use pencils. You can only use paint. So I'm in complete agreement uh, with Dan. What do you think, Brian? Yeah, I, I agree as well. And Kellen, next time I will not send you the question at a time because <laughs> you're not supposed to think about it after. I was uh, thinking. <laughs> I, I think the 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 thing that Dan said that's perfect is that when you're challenged to overcome, let's say, an outside-the-box approach, you're not handed uh, a prepackaged set and say, you can just use this. You're having to overcome that are standard efforts. You no longer can use those. And I think that sort of creativity and disruption challenges the incumbents. And I think when that happens, disruption happens. And what I think you'll find is that these bigger these bigger players, when they do migrate over, the expectation from for most consumers is that we want these things, right? When Amazon did the the two day shipping and said, "This is what's going to happen." If you don't get a product now in two days, people expect it not to come anymore. And I know that's outrageous to say out loud, but like they've changed the path forward. And I think that cannabis in the current capacity, with your team leading the helm probably going to disrupt a lot of these people. And if Visa or MasterCard are listening, they're probably not going to be happy when they realize what they'll have to change. Yeah. And, and yeah, I love the Amazon analogy and and like bringing clarity count to, to the credit card transaction. Like, you know, this is the, that right there is the reason why I started AeroPay. Like I was like, shoot, what is going on here? Like this can't be the best way to do this. And it's like, certainly and, not. <laughs> certainly not. And then, you know, being able to, to solve it in cannabis, where I think there is a stigma, where you know there is this desire to do more and do better at a pace that's unlike anything else. Um, that's that's the opportunity right there, and and business can come with that, and and we're always obviously putting that at the top of the mind, but it, it's also so fun, like to do these things, and then. You know, the reward is, you know, seeing our people grow, seeing the operators, businesses grow because of it. And then, you know, safe solution for pulling cash out of the system um, and getting it to where it needs to be safely. Yeah, I mean, super, super competitive market, uh, hard problem means there's not going to be a lot of people on the hill. So you guys are going to hopefully have a, a good amount of time to, to build it, you know? I mean, looking at the hill is scary enough. But once you take a couple <laughs> steps up, I mean, a lot of people give up and they recognize this yeah. isn't for me. Yeah, it's hard. And there's some really big players doing what we do. And, and we wish them luck. Um, obviously, the, they're definitely validating a bit of, of what we've done historically, which I definitely appreciate. Because uh, there was a long, long time where I was telling people this is worth something. And they're like, yeah, sure it is. Uh, so, so shout out to some big competitors uh, bringing us that, that nice stamp. 
that's the, awesome. that's the best way to do it. So Dan, for our listeners, they want to get in touch and they want to learn how they can integrate Aeropay into their business. Where can they find you? Yeah, so aeropay.com obviously is a great resource. Daniel at aeropay.com is my direct email. Highly encourage anyone uh, to to reach out. And then LinkedIn is a uh, is a great tool for me personally. I enjoy connecting with folks that you know want to learn more about our company, payments, fintech, cannabis, any of the above. Um, so always open a chat. Awesome. We'll link it up in the show notes. Thanks for taking the time. Yeah. Thanks, guys. Awesome chat. Thanks for listening to today's show. To check out more great cannabis podcasts, go to podconnects.com. Here's a preview of one of our other shows. Hey friends, I'm Brandon and I'm Saba and we are your host of the Cannabis Hangout podcast, an educational platform to connect with the cannabis community and share personal stories while breaking the stigma of marijuana. Join us every Sunday at 7 p.m. to gain valuable insight with different perspectives from industry leaders, growers, and medical marijuana patients. This is a place to learn so much from different angles in the cannabis industry. So tune in while we break it all down.